0: Hey there. Hi. I'm so glad you stopped by. I'm your host, or construction tour guide, (laughs) Catherine Gabriel-Jones. Sorry about the mess. We're doing some construction at my imaginary coffee shop. Some necessary renovations. You know how life sometimes takes an unexpected turn? Yeah, those kind of renovations. During October 2021, Here's Hoping will be sharing three special episodes from the Friends for the Journey podcast, conversations that have resonated with me over these past months, and here's hoping that they will be meaningful for you. Because renovations can happen in almost any part of our lives, such as being 20 months into the COVID-19 pandemic, which Can inspire some renovations to expectations and plans for our future. Now, I know I'm not alone in discovering that some unexpected renovations and construction needs to happen, and I wanted to remind you that you're not alone either. So, today, I invite you to join me in an experiment. As the conversation with Skip Irby flows through your mind, notice what stands out for you. Which pearls of wisdom resonate in your heart, your mind, and your imagination? So without further ado, here's my conversation with Skip Irby. And here's hoping. Today we're diving into the deep end of the pool that suddenly has appeared in our life, the pandemic. And I would love to ask my classic Catherine question, which is, if you were to describe your journey or experience with this pandemic as a landscape, how would you describe
1: this landscape? Well, I've, I've used the images of mountains and beaches before. And uh, in thinking about this, um, my image, my landscape is a summer afternoon in Tidewater, Virginia. And the standard weather forecast in this part of Virginia in the summer always includes a 15 to 20% chance of storms, hot and humid. So it's, it's a summer afternoon in which you can have some sunshine, you can have some clouds, you can have a storm crash through and dump rain on you, and then it can pass and there might be light rain. So it's a variety of weather that some are nice and some you want to hide from. Wow.
0: Yeah. Is it fair to say that occasionally the ocean can just completely change on a dime and twist the weather completely on its head?
1: Oh, oh there can be places. There's a, We're not far from what's the Great Dismal Swamp that's in the southeastern part of Virginia and goes into North Carolina. Yeah. And there's a, a Lake Drummond that's in the middle of that that is not a deep lake, mm-hmm. but people have drowned in there when all of a sudden the weather took a turn. And that five to eight feet of water all of a sudden becomes like you're in the middle of the ocean
2: wow
1: so yeah weather can do that especially the storms that all of a sudden creep up on you yeah it just pop up so some you can, it's a hurricane area too so oh. then some of this you know is preparing some of my image for the pandemic when that first started was i'm, I'm, I'm experiencing what it's like to get ready for the oncoming hurricane But we still have power, we just can't get all the groceries, Mm -hmm. and um, we're not sure when it's going to hit, and the whole country's preparing. Mm -hmm.
0: So which part of this landscape
1: uh, do you feel is really prevalent for you today? Well, Some of it for me is, is trying to figure out how to ride out the storm, um, and part of it for me is seeing the impact of some of this on colleagues and families and church members. Uh, we had a session about a month ago at the church that we did via Zoom talking early on about grief and loss And the symptoms that you may be experiencing now are very similar to having gone through a loss of something because you have lost your routine, your what's what you order your life around. And um, so that's still going on. But as we see nationally now, as well as in some local areas, there are people for whom they don't have the same anxiety about the storm. Yeah. And there are different positions to take about whether that's wise or not. But at the same time, it's, it's like we, we can deal with the preparation for a while. But when it's steady and constant, that's different. And that wears on us. And I'm trying to let people know that's normal. Mm. That if you're experiencing that, it, it's not because something's wrong with you. It's just that something's wrong with the world around us right now.
0: Oh, that's so beautiful and important to have that resonance right now is not normal. And how oddly counterintuitive and simultaneously comforting that if people feel worn out and exhausted and confused, that's okay because it's normal. Yeah. In this particular abnormal, surreal, unprecedented time, what we are feeling is surreal and unprecedented.
1: I often have told people, in, in terms of personal grief through a death, that what they're probably feeling is terribly normal. It feels terrible, but it's normal. Oh, wow. Because of loss. We're in a time of transition. And then that also reminds me that we're always in a time of transition. Yeah. This is just very noticeable yeah. that we're in. Yeah. One of the quotes that resonated in my mind, um, I was a New York Yankees fan for a long time growing up, mainly because their shortstop, Phil Rizzuto, I had a good friend in elementary school whose name was Phil. So I chose that team as to be my favorite team because there was a player that shared the name of a friend (laughs) uh, and stuck with it. But it's had some interesting characters, and one of which is Yogi Berra. Oh, yeah. Yeah who's known for, you know, a lot of kind of obvious statements uh, like, you can observe a lot by just watching. (laughs) And uh, he said one time, you wouldn't have won if we'd beaten you. Well, he also made the statement, the future ain't what it used to be. Oh, wow. And that seems like one of those weird ones, but it's true. We all have had an image of what we think our future is going to be like. Yeah that's kind of what he was, I think, touching on with that, that what we thought our future might be is not turning out to be what we experienced.
2: Oh, that's wow.
1: So that's part of the transition that that we're in now is uh, how to live with Something that may not go away as quick as we're used to things going away. Yeah. Uh, the thunderstorm comes and goes. The hurricane come; it may be devastating, but then it leaves. And I've, I've been in my yard within 24 hours of when trees have come down, in which it's a blue, calm sky and uh, delightful, hot, steamy weather. Wow. So we just how to how to recover. Yeah. What's your resilience for for going through these kind of things? Wow
0: for our listeners who are across the world that correlation that each one of us has of that experience something we have taken for granted as being a part of our life like driving down a city street or driving across south dakota or or driving through the mountains or driving across the meadows and to have that landscape that you're completely familiar with all of a sudden turn upside down with a rainstorm thunderstorm tornado uh, sandstorm or anything that makes your life turn upside down everyone in the world understands what that experience is like.
1: And I think one of the things that most church members, pastors, and people who don't bother with church are all having to deal with grief and loss of something. Yeah. And their fatigue, I think, from having to continue to deal with that. Yeah. I'm seeing more what I call the result of that uh, fatigue with people. We are uh, we kind of think, well, we've gotten this far, aren't, shouldn't we be better by now? Yeah. And uh, it's, it's like when you're talking to somebody um, that's been in kind of a bad place, maybe a time of depression and, and down, and they start to feel better. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden there's a setback. That, that's the tougher time than first crawling out of the hole. Yeah. It's when you made it up and you get knocked back down again. So that's what I think a lot of people are dealing with, kind of the second wave of, of loss and grief mm-hmm. that's coming through.
0: Which is so interesting that you bring up the second wave, because there is that longing. The language of the second wave has been very prevalent in the news stories that we hear. And along with that statement of the second wave is the echo that we haven't reached the second wave. Mm -hmm. We're still in the first wave. And so there's almost this longing. If we are in the second wave, doesn't that mean that it's gotten a little bit better? Haven't we taken a couple of steps forwards if we've taken three steps backwards? But you'd mentioned something that I'd really like to touch on. Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay.
0: And that is, you had asked once in an earlier conversation that we had what do you do when something you love is ripped away? Mm -hmm. And with this pandemic, So much of what we had expected to be coming down the road is now not existent anymore. Mm -hmm. And so my question for you is, in this time, do we have the opportunity to discover what it is we truly love and what truly matters to us? That's what I'm
1: seeing as the benefit of having this kind of experience, if we can get to that. Mm. And that varies person by person. It reminds me of what my interim ministry has been about, mm. that a church that's in transition has an opportunity to do some self-reflection mm-hmm. about what is important, what is their sense of call and ministry, and uh, are, they, are they being uh, faithful to that? Uh, mm-hmm. Does their church organization instructor give them the help it needs, or does it get in the way? Mm-hmm. And that those are times to look at what you've been operating as kind of your, your normal. Yeah. And another guess I have is that when people have to deal with crises in their lives, I think we generally look for tapes in our memory bank of how we handled something like this the last time. Yeah, And I don't know that there are that many tapes around in people's minds. Mm -hmm. I've not had a lot of struggle in my life. I usually ask people, what is that most traumatic event that you can remember that took place that shook up your life? Mm -hmm. And if you can figure that out, you'll know some of what is keying in your reaction now. Yeah. because that's how you went, it, went through it before. For me, it, it really was the 9-11 attacks mm-hmm. in which I thought, is my world safe for my kids anymore?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, I really did a little bit of a tailspin there because, you know, I had felt fairly protected. Mm-hmm. Uh, my parents had grown up in the depression, mm-hmm. but I had not had to experience a world war.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: We had other little wars when I was younger and then Vietnam when I was uh, in college and seminary, but those were still distant and remote in my memory. So I'm not sure that a lot of us have memories of how we handled something like this before of this magnitude. Yeah. There may be other that's, you know, from my perspective, which is uh, Southern white culture for the most part. So I'm not saying that's true for everybody. Uh, But I do think um, we've not had a global depression. We've not had to to deal with things that that my parents did. And I think some of their perspective on life was obviously tempered by having to go through a time of depression, uh, economic depression. Which is why my mother had boxes in the attic full of empty boxes and so labeled. Yeah. Empty boxes. Empty boxes. Just didn't throw away. That
0: tracks with some conversations and dialogues I've had with colleagues and clients about their surprise that the tapes, to use your word, that have helped them navigate this unbelievably new and bizarre track of land that they find themselves on are the survival and recovery techniques that they learned when they were recovering from an abusive relationship or getting out of a dysfunctional or toxic Mm -hmm. uh, either family system or relationship or getting out of a toxic job. And there is within that both the inherent resilience of having survived trauma in the past that allows us to face future trauma with at least a certain recognition that, okay, I survived that, so I'm going to survive this. So there's that resilience in there. And also within that, I have to wonder about the longing for control. Oh, yeah. That is inherent in that of yeah but i survived all of these other things i'm gonna survive this and does that mean that we can allow ourselves to be exhausted occasionally oh yeah how do we ask for help and support when we have to be strong and we have to be tough and we have to be resilient
1: Yeah, I think people are trying to, to do that, and, and it's, you've got to keep a stiff upper lip, I guess was the old saying that, uh, <laughs> that went some generations before on that, where you, where you do tough it out. And there's certain days when that's what the challenge is. How do you tough it out? Uh, I hope that people can at some point find a way to reflect about what's going on. Yeah. When when we're under pressure, when we're uh, dealing with loss and trauma and attack, uh, we go to our basic instincts. Mm-hmm and the basic instincts are to survive and often to fight back mm-hmm. and uh that's the reptilian part of our, our brain and the in the, there and but we also have a thinking part of our brain if we can access that mm-hmm. then that's helpful i mean i know i know a lot about conflict management and i know a lot about family systems but if i feel press pressured and backed into a corner i don't go for my uh, lectures I go for the basic survival <laughs> issue yeah. and, and sometimes that wouldn't be helpful. Yeah. So I think we do. We try to figure our tapes. I ask people also about what's, what's your latest, what's your memory of when you had some deep grieving in your life mm. in, in which yeah. you had lost someone that was dear to you. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I was not that close to my grandparents. I was older uh, when they died. Uh, I, I remember when a, Dear friend, uh, when I was in my first pastorate uh, was the uh, Commonwealth's attorney in the county where we lived and uh, one day in court recess, he suffered an aneurysm and died and all of a sudden, we didn't realize uh, you know, had no clue that was coming and that was one major grief trauma loss I had and uh and of course, then I went into my overfunctioning mode because uh, his wife and the two children were, were friends of ours and we had to go to that helping mode of that. So uh, I remember when my uh, I was clearing out my mother's house, uh, probably some 10 years ago, to put it on the market. Uh, she had died five years earlier, but some of my children used that as a, a place to live in between college and whatever it was coming next uh, on that. And so this was five years after my mother died, but I was in the midst of cleaning out that house. And all of a sudden, one afternoon, I was just overwhelmed by grief of Mm. of the memories and the the things that I was having to get rid of and uh, just sat down in the middle of the the living room with not much furniture and it was just bald. Uh, which I thought was healthy until I realized the screen door was open and anybody walking along in the neighborhood probably wondered what was going on in that house. (laughs) Uh, But at the same time, those are some of the times when I can remember a loss that affected me deeply. So I know what some of those feelings can be like Mm -hmm. and as tough as that was to go through, it has allowed me to have a sense of uh, understanding about people as they make their own journey and figure out what is their response to losing something that's important.
0: Yeah. That reminds me of part of the discussion we had in another one of our interviews where you talked about the importance of being able to notice our first response and then our second response and how valuable knowing both of those can be to give us the sense that Sometimes our first response is just gonna happen. You know, when, when we are taken off guard, that first response just shows up. But other times we have that moment and that beat to acknowledge that, you know what, this second response can help to give me more burn time, can really give me more energy in this relationship, making it through this day, making it through this work shift, making it through this conversation. And that's something that's so helpful from our previous interview. Uh, right. Yeah.
1: There, I think the pandemic has taught us to live a lot with our second and third choices. Yeah. Uh, there, there are certain ways of doing church that we're doing now. I heard one pastor say that uh, in, in some video call I was on that, uh, many pastors had this negative feeling about televangelists and then here <laughs> in the first week of the stay at home orders, there were so many televangelists that were around <laughs> using YouTube and whatever else to get to their people. So, yeah. uh, you know, it's, it's really shaking up uh, the way we have known to function individually yeah, as a family. And for churches, yeah. to see how is, how is that working now and what's really important. Yeah. You know, one of the benefits is I've heard more people talk about how we've been the church scattered, not the church gathered. Mm. And, and so that church has just, it's been taken away from the building. And that's a conversation I've tried to engage churches in throughout my ministry yeah it's it's not just maintaining the building but it's maintaining connections with your community mm-hmm. and how you can uh, do god's work in in the place where you're living yeah so we're having to look at a lot of things and yeah. again i think my my interim training has been a help to me and uh, if any pastors are ever looking for a way to kind of retool i think doing some training about uh, interim ministry would help an installed pastor in the church because there's so many ways to look at the system and um, uh, the way we would proceed and and i would overlay this on people right now as they're dealing with their up, uh, upset their angst their distress is you look at your history you know what what has been in your history where you maybe had an experience like this before mm-hmm. if you did what did you do what helped you then if you didn't then you're kind of learning on the fly, mm-hmm. and you're you're making prep for the next experience like this that comes down the pike. Yeah, and and so you look at that, and then you spend time on figuring out what do you really think God has called you to do and be in this place. Mm-hmm. And um, we have we've had too many glib responses, I think, throughout uh, the the twentieth century and into the twenty first about what the mission of the church is, but uh, I've always sensed that it was to be, find out where God is at work in your community and, and see if you can help out with that. And so churches are, are have an opportunity just as well as families do and individuals. What, what is important for me? What do I sense I'm, I'm here for? Mm-hmm. What's my purpose? So there's a deeper meaning that underlies all that. Uh, And once you get a little bit of a handle on that, you can decide whether the way things are set up are helping you do that or not. Oh, wow. Yeah. The hardest thing for churches, one of the hardest things I've found has been to let go of existing ways of doing things. Mm -hmm. Um, There are a lot of churches that are still organized as if they were having two, three hundred people in church and now they have maybe a hundred or less hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, that's they just you need to look at what uh, gives people energy, not what takes energy from them. Yeah. Uh, so those are some things that the interim ministry taught me that I'm finding is helpful now as I talk with people who are in transition.
0: Wow. Yeah. Skip, there's something that you'd mentioned that sparked a thought. hmm. We have talked in our conversations about the quote-unquote organized church and what church is and the work that Ministering to Ministers has done over their first 25 years of extending care for clergy and their family who have been wounded in their call to the church and to their service to their people and you and i have talked about how we can have challenging relationship with the organized church and you were just talking about how this pandemic has put us in a position where we have to envision and embody church in a new way and that we can't do it in the way that we have done it in the past and in the same way it seems that healthcare is in A similar position where how we think about healthcare has changed, how we think about our health has changed by necessity because of this pandemic. Now it's our experience of the organized healthcare and the organized church as being a monolith now doesn't serve the human interaction. And how odd that now. In this time where we are longing for connection, it's the digital platform that gives us the opportunity to connect with others. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: So I guess all I'm saying is in my clumsy way, this weather system that has changed has changed every aspect of our life. And that commonality that all of us experience, regardless of what our road has been, There are a lot of us who are experiencing the worst day that we've had in a really long time. And in the same way that as Ministering to Ministers has provided care and support by providing a place where people can tell their story, we too, not only on this podcast, but each of us individually have the opportunity to provide a place where people can share their story and can recognize that they may not be alone in the grief that they're feeling in this pandemic and the, just the fatigue that they're experiencing in this pandemic, where we don't see an end in sight, even though we hope that the end will be there at some point.
1: Well, that's, you know, the healthcare system, the, the whole system, the food service industry, we're seeing it with the entertainment. What are the movies? How, how's that going to play out? Yeah. We're learning that what we see now may not be what's going to be there. Yeah. I think unemployment is going to rise, unfortunately, because when we get back out of it, a lot of businesses are not going to be able to function at the same level. Yeah. And, um, you know, I have no clue as to what that's going to look like. Yeah. I just know in talking with some of the small businesses here in our community that we have been supporting, that they said they may be able to open now, but it's just not cost cost effective for them, mm-hmm. especially if it's a family business. Yeah. We have some grandchildren that are going to be with us next week, and I checked around with the uh local parks and recreation to see if uh, the playground that we usually take them to that's a very nice playground mm-hmm. whether that will be open now that our state has moved into another phase wow uh, we go out there and we know now that the walking trails and the dog park is open but anything mm-hmm. where people can have to climb and touch and, and do all that is not and the uh, the person at the uh, at the parks and rec office said, we just don't know. And one of the things they indicated was they just do not have the personnel to keep it clean and sanitary, sanitized for people to use. So just because you have permission to reopen does not mean that a, a city who's experiencing less income from sales tax revenue and other things mm-hmm. uh, who is putting some, probably a freeze if not putting some people on uh, leave where you need more people. And so it's just, it's such a complicated thing Yeah, of, of the web that, that surrounds people on it, which means there's that whole issue of control. We like, we feel safer when we know I can control what's happening with my family and I can do all that. And we're having to learn a little bit about trust—not blind trust. At least there's an—it's—it's it's not all up to us. Mm-hmm. Uh, that hopefully other people are making intelligent and, and good decisions about things. Yeah. Um, but it's—it's it's gonna. The world's gonna look different. We, they talk about a new normal. I don't know if "normal" is the word to use anymore. Yeah. Uh, I don't know that it's if it's if we use that term, it's maybe a new new normal for a short period. And then we move to the next new normal. Yeah. Uh, But the thing that people are still going to yearn for is one of the things that I believe church offers, and that's community to yeah. somehow maintain a connection, figuring out how to do that. And and that's been a struggle for pastors and church members. Uh, we're used to being able to, to gather together and hug, and, and you sit in meetings. And while Zoom can be nice, you still don't get the same read yeah. of what's going on with people. And um, you don't have your break-in time before the meeting where you maybe you do, maybe you build that in, but so many times, if you're just agenda driven, and that's been another one of my critiques of the the organized church is most of the times we get together, it's around an agenda and it's not about sharing our stories. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so if it's agenda driven, you may not have that.
2: Yeah.
1: I always remember Carl Dudley wrote a lot about the small church Mm -hmm. and my experience has been in small membership congregations. I've never been on a multi-staff, setting except right when I left seminary. And that gave me some good training in organization and and things that have been helpful over the years. But he said he went to a church to visit one time and the pastor had talked about all the good programs he had. And he went and and met with this group. And as they were kind of doing their introductions and standing around talking and um, he said, well, you haven't mentioned anything about the programs. And they said, oh, no, we've been, they've been talking about people and who's sick, and who's well, and what's going on. He said, no, oh, you mean the pastor's programs. Oh. And so they, because they loved the pastor, uh, they were doing the programs the pastor wanted. But that always made me sensitive to the fact that relationships are important and the programs are what we devise to enhance relationship building. Wow. So we're challenged with that. I didn't realize how much I missed some of that. Uh, I had two events this past week. One was attending a socially distant graveside service Mm -hmm. and, um, how being there with a group of people, even though we couldn't do our usual conversing and, and ways of getting together still, um, was helpful for me. Yeah. And Sunday we had our first uh, regathering service at our church, which was done outdoors mm-hmm. at 10 o'clock in the shade under a grove of trees near the church. But we we had a lot of limitations on uh, the verbal participation yeah, But still, I was surprised at how uh, the kind of feeling I had about being able to connect with these other people just in the same place. Yeah. So some of that's going to come back, but it reminds me of, of the importance of relationships in all this. Yeah, you're absolutely right. What a
0: thrill it is right now to be with other people, you, you know, standing six feet apart, but being with another person that you don't happen to live with in the same house is really thrilling. hmm. Skip, in that context, what does hope mean? I mean, a big part of the reason why this podcast exists is because hope is an aspect of what Ministering to Ministers seeks to bring into the world, not only in their first 25 years, but in their next 25 years as they extend their care and support into other communities. So what does hope mean? In this situation, to
1: me, hope means knowing that you're part of a bigger story and that you're part of a longer story mm-hmm. than just four months. Mm-hmm. The history of the Christian church and the tradition that we're part of uh, goes back. The, the Judeo Christian tradition goes way back. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I've encouraged people to do at this time is to revisit some of the Psalms. Mm. To go back, especially in the uh, the Psalms of Lament, mm. as they call them, they're, they're, that section of Psalms. Uh, the Psalm 13 starts off, how long, Lord, will you forget me forever?
2: Mm.
1: How long will you hide your face from me? Wow. How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? Wow. How long will my enemy triumph over me? I ask people who've been let go of churches and pushed out and fired to, to see that maybe the psalmist also got pushed out of somewhere Yeah. and he has thoughts about the enemies, but it ends up by saying, but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. And there are a number of psalms that are mournful. They're lament. Yeah. In which they, they confess the reality that they're in. Yeah. And I, I like to remind people that that's a, a big part of the tradition. And it's a part of our life.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: We all experience that. And the Psalms, again, were for a, a group of people to participate. Mm. Uh, and their Psalms, they ask for deliverance, relieve the troubles of my heart, free me from my anguish. Well, I mean, these are contemporary Psalms that were written way, way, way. <laughs> Yeah. So part of it is to be connected for me in, in the church tradition, and admittedly this would, would mean more to somebody who has a hook in that tradition mm-hmm. as to some as opposed somebody who doesn't, though I can share my reasons with them, but to say there's there's been always that desire yeah. to, to be through, to have hope that is it's more than it's not optimism. Mm-hmm. Optimism is, is looking at, you know, oh, this is going to turn out now. But hope is is even bigger, yeah longer than that. Uh, the stories of exile, uh, that was not a short period of time. yeah The Israelites left Egypt and they just didn't spend a weekend in Sinai and then end up moving into the promised land. There were 40 years, a couple of generations yeah. of people. I think of some of my, my black brethren and sisters who have had to endure things for years and years and, and have still have hope mm-hmm. that things can be better, but it hasn't materialized overnight and sometimes over decades. Yeah. So it, in one sense, I think I've been spoiled a little bit by my tradition and my experience of growing up. It's, that's not a criticism. It's just where I was born and where I live yeah. and didn't have to deal with some things, but it's a bigger picture, a longer picture mm-hmm than just getting through this week. Yeah, Getting through this week can be an admirable goal mm-hmm. for people now. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes I, I've said, it's not just take it one day at a time. There, there are points in our lives when we have to take it one hour at a time. Yeah. But the, the fact that I'm connected to something larger, mm-hmm. and that's what has helped me in church life too, to realize even when there are bumps in the road, that um, there's still something bigger at stake here that I'm part of. And i that gives me some hope for uh, staying the course in some things. It doesn't mean necessarily uh, I will always prevail because I didn't one time for sure yeah. in that. But uh, I didn't give up on God and I didn't give up on, I may have wondered where he was if he was paying as much attention <laughs> as I wished God would. Yeah. But that's what gives me hope is to know that we're part of something bigger that God is is working in somehow. I don't have I don't have the guidebook or instruction book. I have some about how it helps me get along, loving God, loving my neighbor, and loving myself. If I could just work on those. Yeah. That's a big enough task right now. Yeah. And you
0: talked about the value of identifying what our own core is, those Elements of our life that we hold to be true with a capital T. Those are the granite foundations that we know that we stand on and part of the reason why granite is so very strong is because it's been around a lot longer and Mm -hmm. it's older than us and there's a wisdom to granite that's far beyond our little human mind
1: the other image that we've shared before is that uh, the importance of looking through the rearview mirror there are times when after we've gotten through something yeah. We can see how we did have some help, uh, divine intervention or angels in the form of somebody else that helped us make the journey. Yeah. Uh, that Looking back, I've, I've said that, you know, well, I feel like God has helped me to be where I am, though mm-hmm. God expects me to do a lot. That's that tension of between trusting in God and feeling like I'm self-sufficient and can do it all myself. Yeah, that's that's a tough balance beam to walk on yeah
0: i'm so glad that you brought in that rear view mirror image once again because when you'd brought that in in our other conversation it provided a space for whatever we happen to be feeling to be present and so there is this bold statement that i'm going to make which is that resilience and hope in and of themselves Hold the possibility that where you are is where you are, and what you're feeling is what you're feeling, and the desire to make yourself feel better or put on a happy face or try to be optimistic when you feel fatigued, when you feel that grief, when you feel that anger, and to just let what you're feeling be present Mm -hmm. and know that that doesn't mean you're not resilient. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't mean that there's no space for hope.
1: I think I've I've wrestled with what I might be doing now if I were pastoring a congregation. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I think I would do, though it comes with some caution, would be some confessional preaching, Mm -hmm. meaning what I'm wrestling with in these days and times, and how how I'm struggling with the idea of, getting back together and health concerns. And I've always been cautious about personal examples in sermons. I've usually used it when I'm not the hero, but I'm the foil for whatever happens. Yeah. Uh, but at this time, it, it doesn't mean every Sunday and full blown sermons, but at some point to, to kind of normalize uncertainty and struggle. Yeah. So that people could understand that's okay if that's where you are now, that even the pastor is wrestling with some of these things. Yeah. Uh, I think I would do that. I have I have touched on issues before in my ministry uh, out of the standpoint of not where people ought to be on an issue, but how I've wrestled with it and, and what has helped me now. And if I've come out somewhere, okay. If I'm still working on it, okay. Yeah. So I don't know where along the way it got to be that Part, you, you become part of church because you're really good and you have it all together. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't see that early on, but um, a place where we can talk about our frailties that we're all in the journey together
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, and we're to help one another. That pastors have some training to help connect with tradition and biblical studies and all that, but that's just some of the training. We're all still human beings that are having some of the. The same journey. Yeah,
2: yeah.
1: And I think if sometimes I'm I'm, I'm concerned for pastors, especially in smaller churches now, uh, and 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 I'm sure it could be the case in larger ones as well, is that I'm concerned that once we do start freeing up some, that pastors who have worked on creating all these other ways are going to be faced with keeping those and adding on. Additional, and I, I wonder if there's going to be a crash for for some of our pastoral leaders because of expectations. Sadly, a lot of times they put on themselves. Yeah. Um, the church can put it on them pretty well, yeah. but you got to you know set some boundaries there. Yeah. And that's why I think taking care of yourself, that's one of the things we encourage people when we do our wellness retreats is to engage in good self-care. Know about setting boundaries. Uh, I've had a a quote that I've had through beginning early in my ministry. I came across it uh, from Elton Trueblood, who's a 20th century American Quaker, author and theologian. He was chaplain at Harvard and at Stanford as well. He said, a public man though he is necessarily available at many times, must learn to hide. Mm. If he is always available, he is not worth enough when he is available. And that's one of my words of encouragement to pastors is to still set up some boundaries. Mm. Don't be so busy that you're not looking after uh, yourself with that. Mm -hmm. I remind people of the passage in Ecclesiastes. You have to choose what to add and what to let go. There's a time for everything, a time to keep, and a time to throw away. So if we come back to church, then let's see what we don't need to keep if we're going to add on a bunch of things. And so that's there. And and not to be ashamed about being exhausted or worn out. Mm -hmm. The story I always like to point out, was the raising uh, of Lazarus when Jesus got the word that his friend Lazarus was sick and died. And we read, so when Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Well, he didn't just jump when when that happened. And some have even said they think Jesus separated himself, not just from the crowds, but from his disciples Mm -hmm. when he went away. Mm -hmm. So we all have to find ways to look after ourselves and Again, this this is where the tapes we have is so important. I I have images in my mind of certain pastors that meant a lot to me. Mm-hmm. And when when I started developing my own role as a pastor, those images were there,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and um, and those are helpful, but they're not always perfect images because they weren't of perfect people. Yeah. So I, I like to ask pastors, who's who's been your image mm-hmm. of a pastor, and. If they grew up in a large church and are now pastoring a small church, uh, then I would encourage them to think about some of those differences that are there. Yeah. How much they are laying on themselves yeah. uh, about this that, that maybe doesn't need to be there. Uh, good self-care is critical mm-hmm. at this time, even for uh, parents. They love you, love your children enough that you want to spend some time apart to get it together so that you're worth something when you're with them. Yeah,
0: absolutely, absolutely. Uh-huh. And in this time when it seems like every day is just yet another day where I'm just carrying this big, heavy bag, resilience and self care almost become this radical act. Mm-hmm. Because, granted, right now there are many people who don't have to work or they're able to work from home and they don't have little children with them. But there are a lot of people who also have to go out and go to work or have to work from home and take care of their children or homeschool their children and squeeze in the work at two o'clock in the morning. And it can be exhausting when we feel like all we need is an extra hour during the day so we could take that 20 minute nap. Mm Um, And what I'm hearing and what you're saying is that that the inclusion of that self-care is part of that resilience and that inclusion of that recognition, we are more than these days right now. And to try to recall who has been an inspiration to us, who has been an image that we've sought to model or been inspired by.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I thought it would be very interesting for an activity right now um, for churches to connect some of their people that are in their 80s or 90s with some of the people that are in their 30s and 40s or even teenagers to share the stories of how they got through the Depression. Yeah. That they were old enough, they would remember some of that and what that was like to hear those stories of people of faith who did emerge from that. Yeah. And, and that may or may not have clues for people, but it would be interesting to hear those stories because I, yeah. I mean, I don't have those stories. This yeah. is my story. I'm working on now yeah. that I can tell the grandchildren at some time, what it was like during the great pandemic of oh, 2019, yeah. 20 and wherever else it goes. Yeah. Um, But that's a generation that we won't be able to get those stories Mm -hmm. much longer if we don't listen and record and put some of it down. But I would think it never hurts to talk with the elders. Mm -hmm. That's the the wisdom that is to be there.
0: Yeah. Um, I know that there have been some resources such as StoryCorps, which has really sought to compile and archive these stories of Resilience and hope and faith in and and persistence in the face of sorrow and the nourishment of love in difficult times. There are some surprising resources available to us.
1: I've also one of my concerns over the years has been usually the stories about struggle and faith uh, put you up on the the good side of coming out, and I'm. Often said tongue in cheek, I would love to hear the testimony of someone who says, well, I was about ready to lose my house and my job and I prayed about it. The family prayed about it and uh, I lost the house and the job, but I'm still here.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, and and I felt like God helped me do that. So we don't always get what we want, but I don't think we're by ourselves in that. I know we are.
2: Yeah.
0: My heavens, maybe the Rolling Stones weren't entirely wrong when they said you don't always get what you want, but sometimes you do get what you need.
1: Uh-huh. Yeah, there's uh there's a song that's uh, oh, if I can remember of it, it's about uh, you don't know when God's coming, but he's going to be right on time.
0: <laughs> it's so true.
1: Don't Hurry God is the name of the song and that is Heard him from several groups that you don't know when he's coming, but he'll be right on time. Yeah. yeah. And that's, that's one way to look at it. Um, another thing just to, to make sure I did want to mention that I've kind of a, a quick summary I've suggested to people was something I learned early on in all this, uh, to help get the reflection going without it being overly deep and heavy.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, but to ask people to think about in this time of pandemic, what has the pandemic taken from you?
2: Mm.
1: Think of that, list it, verbalize it. That's kind of the lament piece. Yeah. Connected with the Psalms. And then the next question would be, what in this pandemic has not been taken from you? Oh, wow. What do you still have that's, that's important and that means something? Yeah. And that's kind of the self-awareness piece That yeah. you don't just focus on what you've lost. But, and then the last one is kind of the gratitude piece of what has this pandemic given you? Yeah. And, and for some people it's given them some more time to slow down and reflect, uh, not everybody, but it's, it's at least a question worth asking yeah. for people to think about what, what good has come of this from, for you. And all that yeah. so that idea of lament and, and self-awareness and gratitude are, you know three things to, I think that can help they've helped me answer those questions yeah. so that my evening prayers are not just for my, my family to stay healthy but just gratitude that they're my family yeah. and uh, just to, to share some of that as well
0: Wow mm. I'm tempted to ask this last question of if you could go back in time and tell your previous self one thing, because in this pandemic, how would we go back to our previous self and tell ourselves one thing? What do you think about that question
1: now? Um, It would be that in times of of struggle and and tragedy and pain and loss, um, that there's a chance to learn and grow in that, Mm. uh, to see not just the bad, but what is the good. Um, The story I've always used, and I'm sure it's documented somewhere by somebody, but Uh, during one of the world wars when someone was in the foxhole saying, well, where is God now? This is what's going on. And the other person pointed out to the medics that were going out and getting the wounded and bringing them back and said, that's where God is. So, you know, that God is still at work. uh, Just uh, there's so much we're, we're learning. Uh, And that's not glib, but um, we're learning on the fly about we're learning about life and how to be dealing with, as I say, things that most of our generations right now have not had to experience mm-hmm. something of this magnitude. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. the tapes aren't there yeah. and we're making tapes that we can play back later.
0: Wow. Do you have any resources that have been helpful for you that you've gone to that we might be able to share in our show notes?
1: I can't give you books because I've gone through about three different purges of my library since I left being an installed pastor <laughs> and I find a book I want and I go to Amazon and it pops up. You ordered this in two thousand <laughs> and I said, "Oh, okay, then who has it now? <laughs> But the Psalms, and admittedly, I have enjoyed the resource of the internet and in mm-hmm. all this to, to look and find writings of people that talk about how they have dealt with, with grief and loss. And, yeah. and some of that has, I mean, it's good news. It's yeah. Very solid stuff that I read. So yeah. there's, I can give you the link to the... Um, Chicago mass choir singing. Oh, you can't yes. hurry God.
0: Yeah, please do. Please do.
1: <laughs> I found that um, there. So, I mean, the Psalms would be one place that I would tell people to s- spend some time in. Yeah. T- and uh, you can Google the Psalms of Lament and you'll get a whole bunch of them. Yeah. And and some of those are, are pretty, um, pretty graphic about what they hope God will do to their enemies. Yeah. Yeah, I've told people, God can handle your anger and your upsetness. Yes. yes. Don't worry about that. Yeah. Uh, that that We're learning a lot about grace and all this. We're learning a lot about trust. Yep. Um, we're learning a lot about what's important.
0: Yeah. Skip, I really want to thank you for your time today, talking about something that is all around us, everywhere in the very air we breathe, no pun intended. Um, But I really wanna thank you for your presence and your grace and uh, this conversation. Okay, well, thank you. Thank you for stopping by my imaginary coffee shop, even in the midst of our construction. Be sure you watch your step on your way out. Remember, Here's Hoping is still around, even though we're not quite presentable at the moment, rather than releasing every week. Here's Hoping episodes will be releasing every two weeks for a little while. Questions, comments, concerns? My email is hereshopingpodcast at gmail.com. And you can always find me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram with the links in the show notes. Construction audio is courtesy of Zapsplat. Original artwork for Here's Hoping has been created by, by Ty Sorex with additional graphics created with Canva. And today I will leave you with a quote from the movie Goodwill Hunting. And there's a lot of truth in this. Some people can't believe in themselves until someone else believes in them first. Hmm. So remember, no matter what table you happen to be sitting at, no matter where your feet happen to be, no matter what you happen to be seeing, and no matter what sound you happen to hear, remember that I believe in you. Take care of yourself. Bye-bye.